Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, everybody. I hope we are all enjoying our Monday. Sorry, this episode was up a little bit late. I was basically not home all weekend, so I apologize for not being able to get it up perfectly in time. But I wanted to give you all a little bit of an intro and let you know why you are listening to a bit of a different episode today. So I am very, very proud of all of the work that I've done being the co-producer for the new podcast I'm working on, Still Learning, with my friend India. And we really want to get these episodes out into the world to as many people as possible. And this particular episode I felt would be one that my listeners in particular would probably relate to really well and enjoy. And that is the episode where India and I talked with our friend Sochal Martin, who was part of a religious cult in Los Angeles and Mexico throughout her entire childhood and life. It was a generations-long experience for her family being a part of this group, so on and so forth. And we have a lot of discussion on sex after sexual trauma and what it means to heal and grow and become comfortable in yourself but she's also just so funny and fun to talk to and I really thought that you all would enjoy this episode a lot and it also gives me some time to prepare all of the other episodes that I have for you this month. So a couple of years ago when Keegan was out of town and I was running the show by myself for the first time, I did a series called Bad Girls and I'm thinking about bringing it back but maybe this time calling it Notorious Bitches (laughs) and I've been working on some really amazing episodes for all of you with some women who are not known for the greatest things throughout history but are definitely iconic in some way or another. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Still Learning. And if you do, you go over and you listen to the other episodes. There are three available out right now and a new episode will be out on Friday. A reminder to all of my Patreon listeners, there will be another episode up very, very shortly. That's the other thing I'm working on today, which will complete the coverage of The Feminine Mystique. And I think that's all I really have to say for y'all. I'll say bye at the end, but I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Trigger warning. In this episode, we discuss some heavy topics that may be disturbing to some listeners, including sexual abuse and the exploitation of minors and adults, suicidal ideation, and some frank discussions about sex. If you have been affected by sexual assault, there is help out there. Contact the RAIN network at RAIN.org or call them at 800-656-4673. If you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, please contact the Suicide Crisis Hotline by dialing 988. Hey, Madigan. Hey, India. Let's talk a little bit about social and LDM before we get into this episode. It's such an old cult, and there are so many layers to this story, and many players involved. So, La Luz del Mundo was founded in 1926. 
The church was developed, and with that came an underground harem, and that was passed down from generation to generation. Each leader created their own network of sexual abuse. Young children would be chosen by the leader, then groomed to fill certain roles to please them. Sochol, unfortunately, was one of those chosen ones. She was raised by her aunt, who groomed her for sexual servitude to the leader, Nisan. When Sochil's husband, Shireen, found evidence of the abuse, the couple and their young daughter escaped. It is truly a harrowing story, and listening to Sochil tell it is just unbelievable. Of how they got out. Yeah. Yeah. To learn more details of this story, watch the documentary series Unveiled on HBO Max. You know, you mentioned toward the end of the episode how you and Sochil were part of a retreat together. Can you talk a little bit about that? We don't have as much time in this episode to dive deep into what the Helix Immersion Program was, but if you want to learn more about what we're doing with our foundation, you can visit helix180.com, and that's spelled H-E-A-L-I-X-180.com. Socho has become one of my dear friends, and we've been able to spend some time together healing. I can't wait for you guys to hear our conversation, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you, love, for having me on your beautiful space and platform that you created for survivors like myself, just looking for a place to express myself. And what you mentioned, yeah, cults are creepy, they're they're ugly, they're yucky, they're gross, and there's nothing I can do about my past. And I was essentially born into this high control group uh, called LDM, and it goes back to my great grandparents and. Even my my daughter was born into it, so she'd be fifth generation. Unfortunately, what happens is in institutions like this, and when you're born into it, is there is this abuse of moral behavior, right? And they sort of detach you from reality and as a human. So when I survived this particular organization, it was so hard to connect to humanity and like feel things, just be able to feel. I was so detached from, and still kind of am, like being completely honest. Dude, Um, so am I. I mean, there's days where I'm like, I can't even feel below my head. So it's a process. (laughs) (laughs) It's like so not normal to be in, like on a plane and there's like, (laughs) there's this like shitload of turbulence and everybody's losing their shit. And you're kind of like, ooh, that, that, that feels nice, like, to feel, mm-hmm. right? To, like, feel like, what is, hmm, what if the plane crashes? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I feel alive all of a sudden with this fear inside of me. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I, one of my questions for you was, what was your upbringing like in the church? And it sounds like it was a lot of, you know, just do and don't feel. Yeah, so, uh, uh, exactly. So. I mean, essentially what happens in these types of high control groups is like there's a one higher, ultimate, almighty power Mm -hmm. over yourself and the people who are more powerful than you are, including your your family or, um, in essence, anybody who is older than you. And so it was really just do, do, do. And as you guys well know, in these high control groups is um, you don't not do <laughs> yeah. because if you don't not do, then uh, there are, there's punishments. There, there is a punishment and that's how they will always manipulate you with the fear of punishment. And so um, there was not a day that went by since I was, I, before I can remember where I was always so afraid to go to hell. And, and I was so afraid of, of not being, loved or wanted and it's not like I grew up in a situation where I was physically shown uh, love after a certain age after I was offered to the leader I don't really remember my my groomer who is my who raised me as my mother um not my biological mother but she raised me as my mother and I loved her she was my everything and she was my mom you know and so I don't remember her giving me too many hugs and kisses and affection after a certain age. So I sort of disassociated from that as well. 
it's so weird that you even say that because like one of the things that they talked a lot about in Nexium was that love is not a need. And I remember them going yeah. over and over that all the time in like almost every single intensive. And it's so weird that you're either taught it directly that you're either not going to get love, so you might as well just give up, or we're just going to give you a loveless life and you just adapt to that. And I feel like that's just so common in all of these abusive, you know, dynamics. And it's taking away your autonomy as well when, and it's making you more of an object when you are not a person that is shown care and love and affection, you start to see yourself as that as well. What is the worth that my body, that my capabilities, not myself and my inner self, what can I give to other people so that I'm going to be worthy enough to maybe not receive love, but to, ex to receive acceptance? Or just not abuse, which is like what you're saying. It's like almost the options are pretty slim. So it kind of really does leave you feeling pretty discouraged about uh, life and connection and not, not, not easy. And, and not understanding ultimately uh, about your senses. And as a child, if you're disconnected from affection and feelings, then as a child and growing up in whatever circumstance, it doesn't, it's not just a creepy religious cult can be in a family because family can be a cult, you know, yeah. group of friends can be a cult. And so in essence, when you are detached from learning how to like feeling, then how do you know if that scares you? And so <laughs> I don't ever remember being a kid and growing up as a teenager. And then even in the, like, I was always sort of on autopilot and really not understanding if something felt wrong, if something hurt me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to connect any of that to my body. So it's just, you just, you sort of just live in it. Mm -hmm. And and you think it's, it's absolutely fucking normal. I and know. That, Basically, you um, normalize abuse 24-7. Like I have, I had that yeah. experience when I got out of the cult, because when I was in the cult, I didn't know the difference because like everyone was creepy and invasive and they didn't have any boundaries. So I was just like, I guess this is normal now. And then when I got out and I remember going to New York City and getting into a job where I was being sexually harassed and I was just like, I don't know. I didn't even know how to say no to this person because I was so afraid that if I said no, I would lose the job. Like to me, I didn't even see it as an option. Right. That's like how like, low self-esteem I had. I mean, like, I just really yeah. was like, I'll put up with this because this is the best that I'm going to get. And you're, le you're, you're, you're left in a position feeling small and meek and weak and And embarrassed. Really embarrassed. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. Because you feel so small, like as if you either deserved it, you feel dirty, you feel you're the one that's wrong. That's how you usually feel. You, mm -hmm. felt, you feel so powerless and so small and ugly and weak that you feel like any circumstance out there where something, where something happened that was wrong, you were the one at fault. And so in, in positions like where, you know, cults like LDM or, you know, Nixon or Whatever. These, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. so what they tell you is every day you are nothing. You are, you are stupid. You are ugly. You are not wanted. You are not powerful. You are nothing without this, this leader. Person. Yeah. Without this person, you are shit. Yeah. Either and that's direct or in the subtext of the education it's like either they're telling you that directly like you're a piece of shit you're entitled you don't you're never going to be like that fucking line can we just everyone can just take this line in if anyone is ever saying to you you're nothing without me it's a red flag <laughs> because and i'm like i'm like i know i'm like crying and laughing right now because the amount of times that i was like believing that shit and I'm just like wow really whoa I really felt like I was absolutely nothing without this person or about without this organization and there's something really weird about and I don't mean to generalize but in my just education on this topic there is something weird about male cult leaders especially and sorry for my crassness here 
but they all tend to think that their dicks are going to hit Yeah, you. the dick is going to enlighten you. I don't understand. They're, they're all in their world of play of being a playboy. They're, they were all <laughs> caught in that world of having their... They had they had ultimate power, yeah. And they had they had the Morgensburg, yeah. And it's not about the sex; it's about power. Like that's what sexual assault. Yeah, is. apparently Keith I, couldn't even yes. get a. So, like, I don't think it was really about <laughs> sex. It was really about power and control. Nathan oh, <laughs> had the tiny. <laughs> it's sort of like verdicts <laughs> out, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. We'll give a disclaimer at the first, at the beginning of this episode, because we talk about some creepy (laughs) penises. And I think if you're a woman in your 30s, you've seen a couple creepy penises here or there. Either you've experienced them directly, or you've seen them peeing on the streets. It's part of life. And you know what? On all degrees, some man is obsessed with it in some way, shape, or form. But that is something that, like, you know, talking about only this person can heal you. There's also something that I've kind of seen from both of your stories as well, where it's like, and I'm going to be the one also to like sexually heal you in a way. I'm going to teach you how to be a woman. I'm going to teach you this new way of living because I am the only person that is able to give you that knowledge. And it, it happens a lot in so many of these groups. And it's such an unbelievable trend, especially with male leaders in some way. Yeah. Well, because essentially what they did was converted sex into something ugly and gross and bad and wrong. When, you know, in the 1950s, nobody wanted to talk about sex. It was, it was, um, it was, it was taboo. Nobody mm-hmm. wanted to speak about it. The woman was meant to dress conservative and not mm-hmm. speak. And if sex was, was, was part of her tab- duty. And then comes the revolution yeah. of let's talk about sex. Yeah. Sex is not, it's not ugly. It's not, it's not bad. It's like, it's why not, not in immoral? There's, yeah, there's this yeah. whole study of, of, of sex and sexuality and like how many people were actually masturbating in the 1950s and like, and how many people were thinking about having threesomes and like sex with, with, with their own sex. And it's sort of like, all of this was happening, but nobody was talking about yeah. Everybody was a fucking hypocrite. Yeah. That's what it was. I've wondered because after, you know, being branded as a branded sex slave, like the last thing that I wanted to do was be remotely sexy or attractive or seductive because I thought then people are going to say, oh, see, she's she's slutty. So she deserved that abuse. And like she probably liked it, too, which is absolutely not true. And so then you think about you come out of your healing and I'm like, whoa, what if I do want to be sexy? Is that allowed? Like, am I allowed to wear provocative clothes? Like, I'm, am I allowed to show my nipples? Like, am I allowed to wear pink? Like, all of these things that I felt like were absolutely not okay in the group and really kind of like largely not okay in society in some senses right. and actually dangerous for some women in society. I wanted so badly to feel safe in my own sexuality. And what I have so much fear around is just like showing my own body. Cause I feel like it just means that you're going to get attacked or something like that, or that you're asking for it. And that's just bullshit. Overall, that's, that's, that's essentially what the problem is. It's problems, not sex. The problem's not sexuality. The problem's not sensuality. The problem's not feminism. That is not the problem. That's beautiful. The problem is when there isn't consent, disrespect, no boundaries over your body. So, And that goes with anyone. That's not just man and woman. That's like woman and woman. That's friend to friend. That's like colleague to colleague. It's so basic. Right? Just respecting that person. And like, that's why it's like understanding what consent is when you're educated on it, when you're freely doing it and you've been informed of what you're you're getting into, of what you're doing, and that you have you have given complete consent for that action. That's where the problem is. Where now the person who has power, ultimate power, is using that power to coerce another human being mm-hmm. and sexualizes that human being and tells the human being, "Well, if you don't do it, then guess what? You're fucking fired, mm-hmm. or guess what? you're going to hell." <laughs> 
you're going to go to hell. I physically hold you. Like, I, there are so many ways that coercive control can be done. But the problem was, is not sexuality and it, uh, the woman, the female body. That's beautiful. Yeah. All these That's things perfect. we're told are dirty. Yeah. And it all comes from the fucking Bible. <laughs> <laughs> sorry god but yeah. <laughs> sorry god we love you but you know some of those texts are a little funky dunky so Chil, how do you then realize that because it wasn't like with india where she joined this group after you know she had already kind of had a pre-cult life and you didn't have that you were born into it and it wasn't even just that you were born into it this was a generational situation that you were in. So why or how did you suddenly come to realize what consent was and that you weren't receiving it and that you were in a bad situation? Mm-hmm. Well, consent thing, I recently just found out what that word really was. And it's through an organization called the Consent Network. And they're, they're, what they're doing is they're going across the nation, like defining consent. There, that that's not a thing, by the way, you guys. Like in our legal system, consent has not been defined. Can you imagine? I know. Like, it's not, it's terrible. Or and also, cults are not really defined in the law either. I, no, I heard we're trying to also pass a law on an, it's an anti-cult law, and it's all through coercion. And and it's interesting because you need to define consent in order for these other laws mm-hmm. to into play. What the consent network does is these one they're they're survivors as well of sexual assault and where they got this from was actually from the Bill Cosby uh, trial and in essence what they try to explain is that it's it should be educated on it and you have to be of age to give that consent something that they don't do in cults so like I'm barely figuring shit out like there's a lot of stuff day to day. That I don't, and I'm learning every day. Mm-hmm. That's why it's, I always praise India. And it's like, oh yeah, that's what India is still learning. Because it's like you're slapped in the face with something. And it's like, holy shit, like that's something so obvious and in your face and you should know about. And it's like fucking 2023 and you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with society. Is like we lack the education starting from a young age in elementary schools when you're not taught about mental health right, or, or your own body your senses you know your own body you know bodily autonomy boundaries. Like boundaries all of that stuff like yeah well you never we myself i didn't get that education really M- not much i mean i i highly highly doubt anyone in a cult gets it let yeah. alone you know at large i mean i really love that question because it is such a different approach how you being born and being generationally you know, groomed more or less and me in, you know, my own ways, but also at 19 being pretty young and being pretty naive about a lot of stuff. I didn't see any of the red flags for so long. Like, how were you able to see that? Like, how are you able to see enough of something that you're like, this isn't right? Because that would have been a really thick bubble to pop. And and I mean, if, if, if there were older people who fell into that process, India, it's only natural that somebody so young would have fallen into that. It's only, I mean, I don't, the the younger you are, the more prone you are to falling into these, into this um, mindset or this like mental slavery because you're a child. And at 19, you're still technically, you're a teenager and you're, you're scientific, it's scientifically proven. Your brain is not developed all the way. Yeah. Until, 20, until you're 25 years old. Yeah. And so you still had a way to go. And so if, if older, like these adults, full grown adults fell into this, like, dude, you didn't stand a chance. Yeah, no, I, I think I found some forgiveness for myself there. But it is definitely really freaky to think about how many red flags I just wasn't able to identify as red flags. It's like, I mean, that's what grooming does, though. Yeah, it makes it kind of I mean, invisible. Like- And these people who are really, really good at doing what they do, they're going to pick and choose the way that they're going to speak with you. That's why, Social, I'm just so amazed that you were able to open your eyes and see that when you didn't have another frame of reference to be able to say, this is what's safe and this is what's normal. Or did you? Was there anybody or anything, like even if it was a freaking movie or like a... I don't know, a song that kind of, because I know it's not there, or at least it wasn't for me. It's not like a light bulb goes off and you're like, 
this is bad, everything is bad. It's like layer after layer of like, oh, 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 <laughs> yikes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're learning along the way as a, as a human being, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when you don't know how to be human, <laughs> that's, that's the, because I, you know, all I knew growing up was I was meant to be an object. I was supposed to be concubines or um, these women that we, I mean, I obviously we all watched Disney princesses and like we all wanted to be them, but I actually wanted to be those princesses in the Bible. That's who I wanted to be. And these are, these were women who were slaves to the servant of God, to the apostle. I mean, they're, they're not a, the apostles know, but like the servants of God, the kings mm-hmm. of the Bible. And that was, that was, uh, these stories were told to me in such a romantic way. It was yeah. so romanticized. And I, that's all I wanted to be my whole life. I wanted to be like Sarah. I wanted to be like Mary, mm-hmm. um, you know, Noemi and Betsabe. You know, these are all women who I, so yearned to be when I was older so that I can please the servant of God just as they pleased their Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, taken at such a young age to be essentially his wife, you know, I was very, very young. And I, in my head, I'm thinking that it's finally the moment where I can be the object of his happiness. And again, sexualized at a very young age as well to him. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things get out of control and it really irritates me. And I hope that people can understand how much it irritates a survivor when they blow things out of context and they add on to a story that's already powerful and uh, they make it seem like he had, like in my particular case, as if he had me in a cage and right. you know, he would feed me. Trauma porn. All this stuff. And it's like, no, that's not how it was. And so let's, as a child, when you're growing up and I was being uh, sexualized and I'm saying sexualized because I was, I I hadn't even grown breasts yet. And, um, I, 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 I learned how to give him my first lap dance, like my first, you know, strip session and the sexy dances. Um, all of that was sexualizing me to this person. Yet he never raped me. You know, it was all done in a way where he had his like, his, his sessions of, you know, he would eat with his, you know, with his family and some of the, the ministers or bishops. And he had a show going on of these young girls uh, dancing. I'd be one of them. And this was usually every like 15, 20 days. And it was, it was his way of like relaxing, you know? So all I saw is he was smiling and right. um, you're just entertainment. Like, you're just like child <laughs> entertainment. It's so fucking yeah. creepy and weird. And like, it feels like another time, but we're talking about modern times guys. Like that's what I feel like is so crazy about some of our stories is that people go slavery. Like that doesn't exist or mm. cults. Those don't exist. Like I've even had people say that to me, like cult, what cults they really exist still. And I'm like, yes, they do. And they still do all these kind of weird archaic practices that are like not okay. <laughs> yeah. And then supposedly like the people who are older than you should be educating you on what is okay and what's not okay. So in, in terms of me growing up in this certain society or community where sexualizing a child to the leader, that, that was so normal to me. And it wasn't, with every child in LDM, I'm clearing that up too. Again, it wasn't every child in the mundo. No, it was handpicked and it was usually in the big families or in like the powerful families, you know? So um, it's not like every child was sexually assaulted by the, by the leader, right? No, it was a, it was a culture that he made for himself because he had the power to do it. And then the men around him saw that he did it, so they did it too. And they they assaulted little little boys and girls as well, or little, you know, teenagers, and then so on and so forth with this culture of violating and abusing boys and girls, you know, these children, these innocent children, because they saw that the leader did it. So it's this you- massive culture that you grow up in. 
like what is what are they saying to each other that justifies it how do they how do they make sense of it or does is, is you just nobody talks about it at all so it's nobody talks about it yeah so there were like me and the girls like let's say in in uh, in the group we didn't talk about it like this wasn't talked about this is just something that only you and your groomer talked about um, or groomers talked about. So if in my case, it was like my aunt, Rael, and the women who were, who were, whose daughters were all serving or dancing. So I grew up with these same women and they were the only ones that talked about it. Mm-hmm. This culture that's going on of silence, when it just comes to the apostle, it, it's, it's old already. It's, it's been going on for generations. And the thing is that when it's become so bad, and this massive culture was because the men that were surrounding the leader were also creating a culture of silence themselves individually in every church. So when they would abuse of a child, the men around him or the church themselves would never say anything because what the leader would say was, if you say this to the servant of God, he is going to be so sad and your family is going to be so sad that they're going to go to hell and you are the cause of it. Like we have, well, why would you so go many- up against that? Yeah. So these survivors of let's say LDM who are coming forward and they're, they, they tell us their stories and they're telling their stories. That's it's, it's, it's the same pattern of behavior that happens once and again. So it's like Nason is just one of many the, of these like narcissists. The difference with Nason, Samuel, Aaron, is that they were the leaders and and they had the leadership because of these men that were surrounding them that were building this platform for them to be a part of this rape culture, I guess you would say. So these guys are like, they were their own little playboys. Mm-hmm. You know, they all, they, they all wanted that life of endless sex power in their own little creepy cult world. It's so right? creepy it's their- and it's right. behind religion and like they use like God and you know, religious status. What what year did you leave again? So I left in 2016 and I'm uh, 37. Mm-hmm. I was 30 when I left. Wow. So um, seven, you've been seven years out. Yeah, I've been seven years. And I usually say the word escape. They say, why is they have you in handcuffs? It's like, wait, I escaped because I wasn't free. I, I was not free. I was enslaved. So it's, you know, I got out, you know, the hashtag, I got out. I love it. I support it. I personally use the term, I I escaped. Like, dude, I I survived that. Mm -hmm. And so because of that same culture of silence, so many different crimes are, are committed. And it's just like, it's become this huge ring of like organized crime. And they technically can get away with it because they're not technically going up against any unconstitutional crime. Ain't that convenient. And so it's so convenient. I'm not saying religion is bad. There is no bad religion, but there's no good religion either. They're just bad men and bad bad, and and good men. And there's nothing wrong with wanting community and also, you know, having shared beliefs if they're for your own better betterment. But like, it's just the danger of group think, as we know, that can take you into a really bad direction of you not thinking for yourself. I mean, seven years ago, I just feel like it's, I'm out five years now at this point, And I, I still feel so new in so many ways in my new life. Like, I, I mean, I know you and I could talk forever. But do you just like, how do you even approach your own healing? From something like this because it's people like you Aww. yeah seriously people around me sweet. that are new in and 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 real and they don't lie you know i i was lied to my whole life by the people who were supposed to protect me and they used my innocence against me and they used my faith against me they used any 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 shred of hope of being a child that could be loved, and they even used that against me. They saw my vulnerabilities, and they knew that that's where they could get in into. They saw a, a an orphaned child in a in a circumstance where my aunt herself was 
was was yearning because she was she was also a concubine so that's all she knew Mm -hmm. she didn't purposely hurt me and I get it here and there like off with her head and like Mm -hmm. "Eh, burn her at the stake and it's like how could you even still have feelings I'm like she was my mother Mm -hmm. I I cannot just shut that off Mm -mm. she 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 was not the monster everybody sees her to be because she groomed me it's like she groomed me because in her head she thought that she was doing something good for me because that's all she knew. You're very compassionate when it comes to brainwashing. I mean, I feel like a lot of people, it takes a lot of time for many people to even get to that place. Cause like, it's so easy to stay angry, but then you're just like, you're living in that hell all the time. And the thing is that like, it's not personal. If I say like, I would rather see her away from society and children where she cannot hurt them and from herself. Yeah. And maybe if she's in a, in that place, she can come to her senses and, and, and maybe unfortunately be forced into a situation where she has to be like, Holy shit. I think I was wrong this whole time and I was being abused. And you know, I, that's my hope. That's yeah. my hope. Yeah. And but we know like, that's a re- that's really scary and it's really hard to go there and to accept that you were even abused is really difficult. Like it's so much easier to say to somebody, yeah, no, I don't, I don't talk about that. You know what I mean? But then there comes a point where you can't not talk about it. That's why, you know, I also love the hashtag me too, but in some ways it's like me too is not enough in some circumstances because you actually have to go me too. And I'm going to decide to heal because I don't want to live like this. And it's like, it's, but it's otherwise you're just going to just sit there and, you know, be a victim forever. And it's, yeah, for one, you got to recognize that you're victimized, but do you want to stay a victim forever? Because that comes right. Like there's a little choice in that at at a certain point. And I I feel like you chose to not be a victim anymore. And that's why I do love that you say you escaped because I think that adds so much more weight to the legislation that you're trying to evolve and change. And it just shows you that modern slavery does exist. And it actually happens to women a lot more than like indentured servitude to me is like pretty much the same thing. I, I, I agree because of these tactics of extortion where because that's that's really what course of control is i think it's such a beauty it's it's said so romantic coercion it's like no <laughs> it's, it's fucking extortion what is it in spanish Ecuercion. that's a little and tougher i liked it better and then, in, and then extortion is extorsion bitch it's the same thing yeah <laughs> it's the fucking same thing yeah oh but extortion is a crime but coercion is not there's no actual legislation behind going after a cult leader, just like, you know, Keith was for racketeering and, you know, money extortion and wire. Nexium kind of set a precedent for that, though. I think I think in a lot of ways, because it was one of the first cults on a larger scale to be recognized with Rico status. And Sochal's group that she escaped from, LDM, is also the same setup, but even more magnified, if you can imagine, like, like, big time crime move. I mean, we also had the sex trafficking. We also had the money laundering. We also had all of those things, but like, I don't think people realize how large LDM is. Isn't it like one of the largest cults in the world? I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. So it's in the 57 countries and it's a 100 year old cult. Guys, that's huge. I mean, just to put it this way, their mafia uh, ties go back to Pablo Escobar. Yeah. Godfathers. It's literally because we have a civil RICO case going on for, that we filed four years ago. And when I spoke to my attorneys, I was like, it's because people don't get it. It's like they're, I was in the Godfather because like you guys, like you were mentioning, it's a layer after layer when I was like, mm-hmm. holy shit, like this is, you know, first the abuse of like, why is this happening to me? And first, like you're living in autopilot and right. then you go into a pilot mode where you're just like, how do I die? Yeah. How can I, how can I just 
die because you just can't deal with it it's too much (laughs) to deal with it all at once I actually think my freaking psyche protected me like I lost my mind a lot of times let's just be real like I I I stopped counting but I also I also think that at, at a certain point it was protecting me because I couldn't process it at all like it's taken me five years to have like some honest perspective yeah and I mean going through those segments of life before I left or I got out, or however you want to say, before I got escaped the fuck out of that cage, I went in through a lot of those lapses of just wanting to die. And and ultimately, one thing after another, after another, because of, on the day that my husband finds out of the messages that he saw from the leader to my phone, that's when everything exploded. And in my little bubble brain, I'm thinking like, oh shit he's gonna burn in hell because he's talking bad about the apostle and my husband's husband's telling me he's like this is sick what he's doing and 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 he he he's like saying all these things and all i can think of is like oh my god stop talking because you're gonna burn in hell and you know this whole thing that's what you would have believed and that's all i believe yeah that makes sense to me and I'm thinking, like, I failed because I didn't work on his faith enough. Like, he's he's seeing that this is wrong. And so, you know, I go off and I, like, ask for the minister for support, like, that same night across the street and for him and his wife. And the ministers in LDM, they teach us that they're your everything. They represent the, the, the apostle, no matter where you are in the world. So he's your therapist. Mm-hmm. He's your police officer. He is your legislator. He's your everything. Sounds great. It's it's literally like I had like yeah. I was reporting for duty every day with this with this fucker and so I mean that same day uh, a lot of this uh, these moments of sort of aha right they weren't really registering and still like I was literally kidnapped by these people me and my my six year old daughter when my aunt she drives all night she comes and she picks us up and I she keeps my daughter next to her the entire time. They take my phone. I am not, I'm not allowed to be alone with her. I'm not allowed to. So this whole time, my aunt and my family and stuff, they're like receiving orders from Nason and his secretary on what the fuck they're going to do with me. And so they ship me off to the university over in Tijuana. They cross us over from San Diego to Tijuana. I'm still not registering anything, dude. I'm not registering anything. I'm just like... I don't want Shadim to go to hell and like, what's going to happen? Am I going to go to hell? And so when we cross over, there are ministers and they're also the deans of the university that LDM has in Baja. So they sit me down. So it's all these people and they're like, okay, so the orders of, of that we have for you from the servant of God is uh, you have to convince Shireen to come back. You have to convince him to come back. And so... Mm. I am thinking, like, what the fuck am I going to tell him, you know? And so they said, if you cannot convince him to come back, then you, your husband, and your daughter are all going to hell. And you're going to go to hell twice condemnation. Like, it's, 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 you have eternity, and bitch, you have two eternities on your shoulders. Oh, my God. Now they're just making shit up. So Yeah, exactly. I would have been like... That's not even real. <laughs> I get the intent behind it where it's like, you're not just going to hell. Like, you're going to double going, hell. We're going to double down on this hell thing for you. And like as someone, I mean, like I said, I was I was raised Catholic. I literally had the fear of God in me all the time when I was younger, too. And if I if I ever even gave the smallest white lie and I would feel like the worst person in the world. And we're also taught something you reminded me of something that you said social is that I was always taught not to be a stumbling block for my brother in Christ. So the fact that you were responsible to get your husband back because it is the woman's fault for them not staying close to God. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's, it's sort of like the, in the playbook, right? They just, these different mobs, they do it in a different way. And so in their case, that's kind of what they said. And I was, I was caught in the middle of this moment of, holy shit, like I'm not only me, like, and my husband, but like my poor little baby girl, like what, why are you guys, it's not her fault. She's innocent in all of this. 
And so I'm like in the car the entire ride back to Ensenada and my aunt drops me off like a sack of potatoes and I never see her again in my life. And my husband's waiting there and he's sort of like, where'd you go? Like we, you know, and so sort of talk the entire night and he's sort of like trying to tell me like, you do know that this is abuse, what happened to you? And I'm kind of like, no, it wasn't. I right. well, you're seeing like you're you're not seeing that so he went from like get the fuck out of my house you crazy bitch get get away from my daughter to well wait I thought of it I thought about it and you are a victim in all of this and you need to realize that and save yourself and so I'm like okay but the next day I'm like I still really want to go to church though right you know, I mean, so- the waffling is so normal. I mean, I feel like that's one of the things that I struggled with the most when I first left was not trusting my own instincts. And I would go, well, what if they actually had good intent and it just went awry and that actually, you know, maybe I'm wrong. And like all of those waffling feelings, but it makes so much sense. Like you're literally giving up everything. Not only are you stepping away or you know, escaping from abuse, you're also giving up everything you've ever known, your community, your family, your job, your, like your whole structure of your life is going to change and you don't know what it's going to be like when you get out. And it's actually way harder in the real world sometimes than it is in a cult. And I think having easy answers to life's difficult problems and, you know, a way of living kind of already set up for you is sometimes easier than creating it for yourself. And so, like, I think it's a double-edged sword and why so many people go back into cults after leaving because they're, like, they find comfort in it. Right. It's like, remember that movie, Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. The old man in the end, like, he Mm -hmm. commits suicide because he he didn't know how to live outside of the prison. I know. His whole life, you know, and so his only connection to the outside world and he was happy with it was his bird. And so, I, I mean, there's, there, there are these connections of, of humanity that you are not really fully, you don't really fully understand when you live in a cult. You just know what's inside of your bubble and you're happy in your bubble and you feel free inside of your bubble in your cage. And so, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah like you're, you think that's your whole life. Are so you like, still are you still connected with any of the majority of the survivors that have left, or are you kind of trying to keep your circle a little smaller these days? I mean, I definitely have connection with a lot of survivors of LDM, and several have like reached out from different parts of the world, and they've told me their stories, and it's always so interesting to hear from them because their their stories are so similar to different survivors from different parts of the world because the system was still the same. And then I'll run very few times. I'll run into survivors who have a similar story to mine. But the the interesting thing about this particular community of surviving, let's say, La Luz del Mundo, is that we're, we feel so alone already in the world because a lot of us have, have lost the, our entire families because in this particular cult, like in most, right, you you're shunned. And so we've all lost family. So it's very rare to run into a survivor from LDM who has not lost their family. Now, the only thing about that is that I've tried to really make my circle small just because I fell into a really bad hole when I escaped because I felt like I so easily needed to fill that emptiness of not having family of not having love of not having community or you know what about like not having a mission because that felt very odd to me like when I was out of there I was like what is my purpose like what am I here for I just spent the last seven years of my life dedicated to this belief system that's not real now uh just recently I've understood that well my life is meaningful because I I choose it's meaningful and who I, I let into my life, it shouldn't be all just silly nilly. You're like, right. you know, like more oh, discretion. Oh, I trust you. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, it's, it's understanding what boundaries are. It's like being born. Let's just say it's like 
that aha moment for me was like I was born, right? And then now that I'm growing up, after I'm born out of that, it's really like I'm a five-year-old or a seven-year-old, you know, the time that I've left. And so I feel um, that a lot. Yeah, like being wise as to who you let into your life mm-hmm. because you don't want you will not tolerate lies anymore and you're not going to tolerate corruption and you're not going to tolerate um, all of the all of the ugliness and the nastiness that came into your life. No, you had that moment of holy crap. No, once and again and again. And so I like to surround myself with survivors who found their, their meaning in life, but also they haven't decided to take the route of, of hate and vengeance. You can't oh, surround uh, yourself with that shit. It's too heavy. You know, narcissism yeah. and like all of the like ego, all of the ugly things that we escaped from and they are out there. And so I've decided to put a big wall between mm. negative and, and, and things that are not good for me because I'm growing. I'm, I'm trying to grow. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, because I feel like that's really where we are now in a lot of ways is in the the growing stages, like you being a seven-year-old, I being a five-year-old, obviously you're older than me. So that makes sense in my (laughs) mind. And I learn a lot from you too, as a big sister. And we just got to spend almost two weeks together in Mill Valley. And, you know, just to like circle back to, you can watch Sochal's documentary on HBO Max. If you really want to go into the nitty gritty and the details of LDM, Go find her there, find her on Instagram because she goes, she's so open and like that, this podcast is not really here to cut open you and expose all of your wounds. It's really about like who you are now as a person and how what you went through informed that. And so we did get to spend two weeks together really like focusing on healing. And that's something that I've avoided for five years in in some sense is just group work and group work with women specifically has been kind of traumatizing for me. (laughs) So I wasn't really looking forward to it. But I mean, like I had a remarkable time with you and like I actually felt I, I have felt lasting change and obviously not there's no magic pill that takes away all of your pain and trauma like it's a practice of healing and recovery that you know you and I are both committed to but just like how how painful that has been I know for myself and for you and to get to a point where I actually don't think about killing myself all the time seems like something that should be so basic and easy and it has not been at all right and I and I I do I am very grateful that you're touching base on these subjects, India, because to be able to grow, we have to understand that as human beings, we have been abused and we have been hurt. And there is a difference between going through pain and suffering and living in sufferment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we're the only ones that can ultimately step out of that and help ourselves out. Now, I think that we were so open with each other and I was so happy that I found I was so safe in a place where I can talk about these things. And like the, you know, the the other Sochi, the other Sochi that's always constantly telling me, like, you're so full of fucking shit, Sochi. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, like, no, you maybe maybe this is all going wrong because you are a piece of shit. Don't you understand that you deserved that? Right. Like all I, those Muppets in our head that tell us bullshit. Right. Yeah. These little, these little characters that have these, like, these voices that are constantly telling us. And so you've run into these other uh, amazing human beings who are just growing. And then to be able to be in one single place where we were all just so open and it's like, oh, wait, it wasn't just me. Right. It wasn't me. Oh, it happens to her. Oh, it happens to her. So then when all those times, oh, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. My whole, this whole time it's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course I'm alone. And then, you know, you run into a position where you're like, no, Sochi, you, you're not alone. So you have a community. You've been given the tools now to speak about it. And, um, and it's really more of like, are you going to pull yourself out of that? Now, I had conformed India mm-hmm. before this, you know, this 
retreat before March. I, I yeah, I completely con- conformed into a mindset of, well, I'm going to try my best not to kill myself. I am. I have conformed into a, a, an ideology of who cares. You know what? Right. Like that's that's just, just how it's been. Adapted it's- to the symptoms, and I know what that's like with anxiety and depression, and just like feeling bipolar all the time. Yeah. Like I'm used to it. Like this is normal. I sh- like let me live with it. And I'm yeah. Like bipolar. One moment you're happy, the other one moment you're like sad. Crying I'm on the floor in a ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, like all of those moments in our lives where I was just kind of like, you know what? Just leave me alone. I, I after everything that I went through, that's my mindset. It was like after everything I, I I went through, like I should be left alone, and that's like fuck it. Like this is just how I'm living. Mm-hmm. And who cares if the people on the outside see me as the crazy person or they're going to use that against me and I'm like, I'm done with it to a position where after this amazing retreat that you so graciously invited me to. Well, you're also part of the, the, the pilot program. So it's a really important position for us and for our foundation, because we want to try and study this stuff and see that if it can be helpful, basically we want to see if this is an alternative for people to SSRIs because like yeah. for me the standard antidepressants were not the way that I could go because I was so numb that I couldn't I couldn't really I couldn't feel anything so I couldn't actually process my issues so I had to do something that was going to bring back the feeling and kind of bring back the memories in some way and like you know how many times have you tried to escape your bad memories and your bad dreams like I mean all the time <laughs> But now I actually feel like I can ride the wave a little easier. I mean, I don't know how what it was like for you, but I I do feel like I have more choice and more flexibility when it comes to my PTSD symptoms or triggers or like whatever you want to call them, because it's not chronic anymore. Like it was chronic before and now it feels like I have space in between to be able to decide do I want to actually try and feel light and love inside of me whatever that might be yeah and 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 being okay with feeling this way and understanding that it's absolutely normal there's nothing wrong with you you're not broken you're not mental you're not dumb you're not meaningless you're you know you're not powerless like no you are you know that being in a place where I can come back after every session. And uh, yeah, there was a wave of, you know, understanding now. And it was so unbearable. Like the feeling of that's what was, that's what was hurting me this entire time. And I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to see it. And then finally being able to understand that that's where it was and then cope with it. And then sort of like, oh, at least I know where it is now. And now I can sort of, you know, come to it slowly and then feed it. Maybe take that little, I had a big thing with like, you know, with my mom's and then with my little me. Yeah. And then the little me is sort of like, now at least I know, now at least she's talking to me now. Right. She, before that little, so she didn't even want to talk to me. She didn't want to look at me. Yeah. And so being able to go there and being, and, and speaking to her and, being able to play with her and knowing that that's all she needed attention and love and compassion, right. you know? And so I did, she's not a bad girl for wanting any of those things either. Yeah. So all of that was, is super important to understand that all of us um, in that particular room where I felt so incredibly safe and heard and valued and respected. And I, I felt like I was able to go there and not feel alone or strange or weird or, you know? And so, yeah, I think that healing the way we did when we spent our time together mm-hmm. was a place where I was able to go back into time and sort of save that little Sochi, able to dance with her because mm-hmm. India got me dancing again <laughs> and not in a weird like, <laughs> We wanted wanted to bring the innocence back to things that have felt taken from us. And like, 
you know, we're all in our 30s now. We're not going back to our 20s. We're not getting them back. It's impossible. Like the only thing that we can actually do is try and live a little better in the moment that we have now. And like, it's way easier said than done. But like the medicine that we took, which, you know, I'll reference this a lot more in the show because we're going to be talking about Helix and Helix Immersion and the programs that we have coming out with our foundation. But really, I think like ketamine assisted psychotherapy helped me a lot. And I've, I've tried other drugs medicinally and recreationally, and I found that I needed help downregulating my freaking nervous system because I was so jacked up for so long, like on a high of adrenaline. I didn't really know how to feel any other way. So yeah, it's easier to kind of go numb when you've got nothing. Where are you going to go? You you don't feel good. So why would you feel happy? You feel depressed and anxious and scared. So obviously, like, if that's your baseline, it's difficult to go from that to happiness. It's like you almost have to just be okay for a while to then get to being happy, I think. And because you don't really know what those words are and how your your body's reacting to each of those. Like, you can't tell yourself, oh, in the moment where you're feeling sadness and anxious or disgusted or not sad in the or mad, you don't really know how to put those words to your feelings when you're feeling them in, in the cult. And so when you do leave and you start to learn these words and these definitions and you're like, oh, oh, that's what it is. That's what the feeling is. That, that's where I think the problem is, where we don't understand our senses enough to really put a word to them when we're on autopilot. Basically. Yeah, you don't have time to, like, you know, have an emotional vocabulary. At that point, you're just in survival mode. Now we have the luxury right. and the privilege to be able to be at the healing stages where we can actually start to look at shit and be like, oh, yeah, that is what yeah. happened. Um, without being like totally freaked out every time you have a, you know, a memory or, you know, a trigger or, you know, we didn't even really touch the topic of sexuality after sexual trauma, but like, we'll get there. We can have you back on another day. Yeah, we can have you back on another day as a co- as our commentator. But just to, to wrap up a little bit, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or share or promote for yourself? We don't know, but next year, the beginnings of next year, we don't have a particular date yet, uh, but we're working on a 1 million survivor march in uh, Washington, D.C., and these are survivors. Amazing. Okay, so there's no date yet, but you heard it here first that there is going to be a potential 1 million march, uh, maybe a year from now, we'll see, right, Uh, that I will also be participating in, and so... We hope to see you there if you're in support. And if you're not, you can't sit with us. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing listening to this show? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? You gotta get shit done. Like, this is what it's about. Like, really getting out there and then, and finding the message that I think that we really went deep into India when um, we were actually talking about this. And it's, it's not, we're not asking. This isn't vengeance. This mm-hmm. is justice. This is love. We want peace. That's all we want. We yeah. want peace. This isn't a and rage fest. No. No. And we don't want any violence. Like, if that's your thing, like, get it out before you come over. Because you can punch, punch a pillow, go to a boxing class, scream. Yeah. I don't know. I think India and I at least would show up with a joint. Yeah. Are you kidding me? The whole time. I would like, definitely. And I'm, I'm planning on wearing a crystal bra. Like I already have my outfit planned and this thing doesn't even have a date. <laughs> <laughs> and I would definitely give out like, I don't know. Gummies. DVD. Yeah. Gummies. <laughs> We're looking for a sponsor out there. All right. Let's, one million people, yeah. one million survivors who want to heal and also, you know, be happy while doing it. We need one million edibles, please. Yes, <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> that is an awesome idea. All right. Well, I mean, I just love and adore you so much. We could talk forever, but I guess until next time, like I would love to have you on again. Um, yes, so. you tell me whenever. And also, do you have a podcast too that you want to promote or say anything about? Uh, yeah, so we're launching, it's called The Elephant in the Room, and we will be talking about religion and politics. Cool. So, uh, yeah, the essential problem in so many of these different 
types of organizations are the abuse of the First Amendment. And I do think it's time we talk about it. And we do need separation of religion and state where there's so much to talk about. And uh, we're going to go there. We're going to talk to good politicians and bad politicians. We're going to talk to American politicians and Mexican politicians. We're going to talk about uh, the abuse of uh, power and religion and faith. Where can they find you? Uh, So it's going to be on YouTube. We have social media, so that's that's kind of like the free version of, of wanting to get our projects out yeah. there and we educate, right? Which is what we're trying to do. But we're not, we're not. I'm not on. I'm not going to be on Apple yet or any of those. But just because of all the other projects, like I don't think that I would have time to be posting it on all of these different platforms. Yeah. So I'm just gonna stick small. Stick to YouTube. Stick small. So thanks, you guys, well, for having thank me. Thank you. On. That was fun. Well, that's that. I hope you all really enjoyed that episode. And I forgot to mention at the top that also all of the music that you hear on the show is done by the one and only Max Ram. And now I need him to make me a new intro because fun fact, I've never really liked the intro music of the show. Sorry to say it. I didn't pick it, but it's fine. Whatever. Any hoozles. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. There's going to be a lot of really wonderful episodes coming at you. I actually have a really fun interview that I'm doing for the next episode that I can't wait for you all to hear uh, regarding someone who is related to one of these notorious bitches that I'm going to be covering and very, very excited for all of that. Don't forget to check out the new Patreon episode coming out as soon as possible. Be sure to check your Patreon emails or notifications and all of that kind of stuff for the last episode covering the feminine mystique. And I think that's it for me today. Thank you so much. As always, you all mean so much to me. That's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hi listeners, this is Amy from the production team at Realm. Remember the royal wedding? Kind of hard to forget with all those hats, right? Well, what if there was a story about everyone else at the wedding? The maids, the bodyguards, the hat makers? All that royal wedding magic doesn't come from nowhere, but these other characters don't get enough time in the spotlight, in our humble opinion. So, we created a different type of royal wedding show, perfect for fans of Love Actually. Think vignettes. All of London is abuzz with anticipation of the royal wedding, from the New York paparazzi flown in to catch the money shots to the maids at Buckingham Palace. And every one of them has their own chance at true love. But when the princess bride and her maid of honor go missing, will love prevail? Royally Yours is a fun, flirty, and romantic show that intertwines five love stories that will sweep you off your feet. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Royally Yours wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at realm.fm.